This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, Olivia, my late night friend, how are you doing? Are you keeping your eyes open? Tell me how you're feeling. I got one eye open. Cat napping over here. I'm hanging in there, though. This is a marathon, not a sprint. I'm That's here right. for the long haul. Yeah, this is the fifth episode that we recorded in one night. It is currently 12.15 a.m. So we are making it work because somebody's got to go out of town. So you got to have some fun. You got to pay the price. <laughs> I'm paying it, man. I went up, got up at 5.15 this morning for whatever reason. And I'm suffering, but I am here for our listeners. That's right. And, you know, sometimes we always start off and we're a little sleepy or something like that. But when we get into the story and we start getting engaged, it's like we shake it off it until the recording is done. And then we go right back to being crashed. So <laughs> we will muster the energy. We will get through it. And this case I am bringing this week. I feel like the last couple of episodes we've talked about this, but I had never heard about this one before. And this case really blew my mind. This is one of those cases I like to call like a country road case or like a roller coaster case because there's so many twists and turns and like weird things in it. And so I'm really excited to cover it with you. I'm really excited to cover it with the listeners. And this week we are actually going to the Sunshine State. If you listen to the last <laughs> full episode, I refer to it as Arizona. That's not true. We're going to Florida this week. So I don't know about you. Should we just jump into it, kind of get the ball rolling and, and get into the details? Yeah, I'm really excited about this title, Teenage Dirtbags. And I also am excited for a roller coaster case. I feel like I've been on this husband, boyfriend, killer kick, and I just need something different. It's like we're bringing our personal fears into the podcast. <laughs> right. 
But yeah, let's check in. Let's For sure. And I think the title will make sense as we dive into it. But this week's case, as I said, takes place in Florida in 2011. Seth Jackson was a typical 15-year-old kid. He was born on February 3rd, 1996 in Bellevue, Florida, and grew up with his two older brothers in the neighboring town of Summerfield in Marion County. Jackson's parents described him as a friendly, outgoing, and funny kid. He was a student at Bellevue High School, and he had dreams of someday being a fighter in the UFC. And like a lot of 15-year-old boys, Seth was interested in the girls. In fact, he had begun dating 15-year-old Amber Wright. Now, like most teenage relationships, there was a fair share of drama. The pair had only been dating for about three months when Seth began to believe that Amber was cheating on him with another boy, 18-year-old Michael Bargo. The pair broke up in March of 2011, but continued to act in the way that kids do. Both made attempts to make the other jealous and use social media as a way to air their grievances with each other. In early March, Jackson was posting things like love you, Amber, on his Facebook wall. But by the time April 7th rolled around, he was calling the 15 year old a slut and a drug addict. On April 8th, the teens had the following exchange on the social media site with Amber writing, I got so tired of you treating me like I was nothing. If you're so perfect, why don't you get over your jealousy and get a new girl to hurt? You know I care deeply about you. I stuck with you through a lot of stuff. It takes a real man to accept the fact that he got broken up with. Jackson responded, we both need to let all of this go. Yeah, we split. Yeah, it hurt, but I'm over it. I'm just not going to let Mike have his cake and eat it too. As the former couple continued to go back and forth on social media, Mike Bargo began to develop a deep hatred of Seth Jackson. Now, a little bit about Michael Bargo. He was a bit of a troublemaker. He had a history of theft and posed as a, quote, gangster. Bargo had the desire to be seen as a tough guy. He donned tattoos and he openly carried a gun. In fact, in April of 2011, Bargo confronted Jackson at his home. And according to Sonia Jackson, Seth's mother, Bargo said, I have a bullet with your name on it. That same month, Bargo and Amber Wright's stepbrother, 16-year-old Kyle Hooper, challenged Jackson and a friend to a fight at a rural trailer in Summerfield. Apparently, Hooper also had an issue with Jackson, believing that he had previously slept with Hooper's new girlfriend. Now, the trailer in question was owned by a mutual acquaintance of both parties, an 18-year-old female named Charlie Ely. Jackson and his friend showed up to square off against Bargo and Hooper, but fled when they heard a gunshot ring out. Bargo had shot around from a 22 caliber revolver from inside the trailer to, quote, scare them off a little. Things between the teens seemed to be escalating, and soon the story would take a much darker turn. So before we go any further, I wanted to pick your brain about this, because to me, when I was doing the research, I was like, oh, this is just a lot of teenage drama and kids trying to be tough guys and stuff like that. But I didn't know if you were having the same feeling. Yeah, I feel like this is just all petty. And I think I even asked at one point, like, how old are all these people again? Like, who's carrying a gun and how old are they? And then he's just shooting off a 22 caliber revolver, like, inside their trailer. Like, this just seems like a mess. Yeah, it is very high school. And especially, you know, thinking about 2011, like, Facebook is huge at that point. It's really the only big social media platform at that point. And so, you know, if you're having this back and forth, like kids from your school can see it and stuff like that. Like I said, it just feels like it's very teenage, you know. Very much so. Now, on April 17th, 2011, Seth Jackson and a friend were walking home from visiting another friend's house. It was then that Jackson's phone began to go off. They were text messages from Amber Wright. Wright told Jackson that she wanted to work things out between the two of them and asked him to come to Ely's trailer so that they could talk. She also asked him to keep the meeting a secret. 
Now, Jackson was a smart kid and he felt that he may be walking into an ambush. He responded to Amber Wright, Amber, if you have me jumped, I will never give you the time of day. Wright assured him that he wasn't being set up texting. I can never do that to you. I just want you and me back. The friend that Jackson was walking with advised him not to go. However, like many teenagers, emotions outweighed logic and he agreed to meet. But when Seth Jackson didn't return home that night, his parents immediately knew something was wrong. According to Sonia Jackson, Seth was responsible and would always call to let her know where he was. And when that call never came, she immediately called the police to report him missing. Now, the next day, likely because of his age, Jackson's disappearance made the local news. Kyle Hooper, who again was Amber Wright's stepbrother, was home with his mother and saw the story on TV. While watching the story, Hooper became visibly upset. When his mother asked him what was wrong, he shared some truly shocking information. He knew that Seth Jackson was dead and he had something to do with it. Hooper's mother immediately called the police and he and Amber were brought in for questioning. Hooper would be interviewed first. In his initial statement to detectives, Hooper said that Seth Jackson had arrived at the trailer wanting to talk to Amber. Inside the trailer were Kyle Hooper, Amber Wright, her boyfriend Mike Bargo, Charlie Ely, and another man, 20-year-old Justin Roach Soto. Once Jackson entered the home, he sat on the couch. It was then that Hooper stated he took a wooden stick and hit Jackson over the top of the head with it. According to Hooper, he did this because he believed that Jackson had physically assaulted his sister in the past. Hooper then told detectives that he told Jackson to get the F out of the house. Then, Hooper heard gunshots. He claimed that he had looked over to find that Mike Bargo had shot Seth Jackson. Now, to corroborate Hooper's story, detectives then interviewed Amber Wright. And in the first interview, Amber shared that Jackson had arrived at the trailer asking to talk to her. Wright also said that Hooper hit Jackson over the head with a piece of wood. And according to her story, at that point, she and Charlie Ely ran to the bathroom located in Ely's bedroom and locked the door. Wright said that while locked inside, the two girls heard gunshot after gunshot. Then Amber Wright claimed that the pair didn't come out until the following morning around 11 or 12 o'clock. At this point, detectives asked Wright if she noticed anything different when the pair finally emerged from the bedroom. And Wright shared that the entire trailer smelled like pure bleach. But to detectives, Amber's story seems suspicious. Who would be able to simply go to bed after witnessing an assault and hearing gunshots in the home? Something didn't feel right, and detectives questioned right again. And during that second round of questioning, they upped the pressure. Now, unbeknownst to Amber Wright, detectives had interviewed Kyle Hooper again, and he shared the full story of what had happened that night. Detectives told Amber that this was the only chance she had to come clean and demanded that she tell the truth. At this point, Wright told detectives that Mike Bargo decided that Seth Jackson had to die. She shared that Bargo had told her to text Jackson and asked him to meet, luring him into the teen's deadly trap. According to Amber, after Kyle Hooper hit Jackson over the head, the girls did leave for the bathroom. That is when Michael Bargo began firing at Jackson with a 22 caliber revolver. Seth Jackson was hit and wounded, but he managed to make it to the trailer's front door and escape outside. In fact, he had almost made it to the road when he was tackled by Justin Soto, who began to beat Jackson as he lay on the lawn. Then, Bargo shot Jackson again. Michael Bargo, Kyle Hooper, and Justin Soto then carried Seth Jackson back to the trailer and placed him in the bathtub. It was here that Bargo continued to beat him as he lay in the tub. Then, Bargo eventually fired more rounds into the broken boy, finally killing him with a shot to the face. Bargo, Hooper, and Soto then broke Seth Jackson's knees so that they could fold him into a sleeping bag. 
Then the sleeping bag was thrown on a burn pit in the yard in an attempt to burn Jackson's body and cover up what the group had done. Bargo and Soto would later head back into the trailer to go to bed with Hooper staying up to tend to the fire. Then another shocking twist. James Haven, a 37-year-old ex-boyfriend of Amber Wright's mother, arrived on the morning of the 18th. In the back of his truck were cinder blocks. The group used bleach to attempt to remove evidence from inside the trailer, and they then shoveled the remains of the burn pit into three paint buckets and loaded them into the back of Haven's truck. At that point, Havens, Bargo, and Soto drove to a water-filled quarry in Ocala, Florida. Once there, they dropped the weighted buckets into the water and watched as Jackson's remains sank into the depths. Amber continued to claim that she was in the bathroom the entire time and that she was told that Jackson's body would be taken care of. Police now had Amber Wright, Kyle Hooper, Charlie Ely, and Justin Soto in custody. During their separate interviews, Wright, Hooper, and Ely all stated that it was Mike Bargo who wanted Seth Jackson dead. But while in a holding room together and being recorded, the three discussed the murder. And at one point in the conversation, Hooper was caught saying Seth Jackson deserved to die. So before we go any further, Olivia, I kind of wanted to pick your brain. You know, we've just outlined this terribly gruesome murder that's happened. Where's your head at? What are you thinking? This is a mess. This just is so sad. Like, I don't understand why these teenagers wanted to kill Seth Jackson. And why did Amber feel the need to have her ex-boyfriend killed? And one, why would you even set him up? Like, he knew, he knew he was getting set up into a trap. And he continued to go because he trusted her, because he loved her. And it's just a sad, disheartening story. But this is just so many people are involved and so many lives have been ruined. And there's just so many different layers of it. Like, someone's ex-boyfriend who's older, shows up and you know he takes the remains like there's just so many moving parts to it but this is this is a case that we needed right about now you know not a husband murdering a wife or a boyfriend murdering a girlfriend it's more of a the mistress takes the lead here in this case yeah and it was really shocking to me that James Haven showed up because you know that was Amber Wright's and Kyle Hooper's mother's ex-boyfriend Apparently, he was hanging out with them the day that they formulated this plan. And he said that he felt uncomfortable and left, but then comes back to help them move the remains. Yeah. And then is part of it. Like, makes no sense. Just stay away. Again, it's like teenage jealousy, overdramatic. Yeah. Overdramatic. No rhyme or reason. Like, yeah, it almost feels like some kind of like crazy, like Romeo and Juliet. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's when you're that age, it's like love has to be dramatic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think this Bargo guy is just, you know, he wanted to be a bad guy. You know what I mean? Like he wanted to be a gangster. He wanted to show how tough he was. And I think that played a lot into it. And speaking of Michael Bargo, there was still one problem. He was on the run. In fact, James Havens had driven him to Stark, Florida to stay with an out of town girlfriend's family. Now, once Bargo arrived and again, wanting to be perceived as a real gangster, he bragged about the murder in graphic detail to four separate family members and a neighbor. Bargo would be arrested the following day and once in lockup, he continued to brag about his crimes to an additional two witnesses. Police were able to gather a search warrant for Charlie Ely's trailer. There, they were able to locate the murder weapon as well as human remains in the fire pit. They were also able to find the victim's blood mixed in with some of the attacker's blood as well. So the blood had been kind of cross-contaminated. Additionally, a diving team was dispatched to the Ocala Quarry where the three buckets containing Seth Jackson's remains were recovered. In June of 2012, Kyle Hooper and Amber Wright were found guilty of murder. 
Both were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. During the sentencing, the judge said that this was the coldest, most calculated, premeditated murder he had ever seen. However, in 2014, the 5th District Court of Appeals found that Hooper could not be subject to a mandatory life sentence as an adult convicted of the same crime would be. He was resentenced with the possibility of parole added in December of 2016. So all that means is originally he was sentenced to life without parole, but because of his age, they had to resentence him and give him the, the option for parole after a certain amount of time. Amber Wright ended up having to be retried due to an issue with her not being read her Miranda rights. In February of 2016, she was again sentenced to life with her sentence subject to review after 25 years. Charlie Ely was sentenced to life in prison without parole in October of 2011. However, in June of 2020, a federal judge vacated her original first-degree murder conviction. Ely was scheduled to be tried again, but she pled guilty to a lesser charge of second-degree murder. She was sentenced to time served and released after nine years in prison. In May of 2012, Justin Soto pled guilty to his role in the murder of Seth Jackson and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. In March of 2018, James Haven pled guilty to helping dispose of Jackson's remains. Now, what's interesting is that I couldn't find any information on what his sentence actually was. And I do know that Havens testified against the kids in their trial. So I don't know if he was given like probation, but I do know he was looking at close to 33 years. I just wasn't able to find a definitive as to what he was actually sentenced to. Michael Bargo's trial began in August of 2013. He entered a plea of not guilty, but a jury ultimately disagreed. Bargo was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to death. Now, he would go on to appeal the sentence, but in June of 2021, in a 6-1 to decision, the Florida Supreme Court upheld the death sentence. And at that time, Michael Bargo was the youngest person on death row in Florida. So that's this week's case. Details, sentencing, as we go through, you know, what are your final thoughts for me? I mean, just so many, so many, so many lives were ruined. Every one of them but one person got life without the possibility of parole or life with the possibility of parole, knowing good and well that these parole hearings probably aren't going to be very successful just in our like research of seeing how these go. But so many lives were lost over something so senseless and just not necessary. And every single one of these kids' lives were ruined over just pettiness of being on high school teenage love. But... This was a doozy of a case. There was just so many moving parts to it, but I really liked it. Yeah. And, you know, there is a docuseries called Killer Women with Pierce Morgan. And Mm -hmm. one of the episodes is about Amber Wright. And it kind of paints her as like the mastermind. Like Michael Bargo gets the death sentence and everything like that. But it suggests that it was her idea. She kind of masterminded everything. And she talked a little bit about, you know, people thinking that she was evil. And it was really interesting because she's like, I don't see myself as an evil person. You know, basically, like I see myself as someone who made a mistake and I'm paying for that mistake now. And like, I wish it never would have happened, you know, but now I mean, this was in 2011 and she was 15. You know, she's in her 20s now, not saying that she should be granted any grace or anything like that. But it just goes to show that, you know, these decisions that we can make at a young age, like will impact you for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what's going to happen to her after that 25 years. She could very well spend the rest of her life in prison, parole, the sentence, you know, remain in place as it is now. But it's just, you know, it's sad. It's like you said, it's a lot of young lives that were ruined, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Well, if we're talking about the deadbolt test, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, I have a feeling that you're going to score this kind of low because you're an adult and you're not running around with faux gangsters and stuff like that. But when we're talking about the deadbolt test, where you fall, is it more interesting than it is going to you know, creep you out or anything like that? But I'm, I'm interested to see what you have to say. Yeah, this one is going to fall low for me. Um, as far as like scaring me, making me check my locks, it's about a three. But as far as like the planning and all the moving parts of the case, I'll give it about a six. But on the deadbolt test, it's truly a three for me. And it's just because, you know, I'm not a young teenager in love. But I mean, I know the feeling of feeling in love and doing crazy things and feeling a certain way when you're that age. But I mean, I just don't get how killing somebody is going to make anything better. And how does a 15 year old, 16 year old to 18 year old think they're going to get away with this? But it was a good case, though. Where do you fall on the deadbolt test? Yeah. I'm right there with you. I mean, for me, you know, this is going to be a three or a four. I'll, I'll say a four, put it at a four. As far as how it affects me, I think that while I'm not going to be checking my locks tonight, this reflects back to like your Denali Bremer short on time case where, you know, I've got a kid and this just makes me think like, please, when you're 15, when you're 16, like, please know your worth enough to hang out with people that like treat you the way that you need to be treated, like avoid the drama, you know, avoid bad influences, stuff like that. And I know every kid, I mean, I had one, I, I had a couple friends that like we go in the woods and they'd be like, you want a cigarette? And I'd be like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like you, you have, the, that's part of growing up is you have those friends, but like just hoping that she has the normal amount of bad influences and not something extreme like this. So again, definitely for me, I'll, I'll put it at four, but this is a case I'll be thinking about, you know, in 11 years when my child is this age. You know what I mean? Right, right. Hopefully Millie's just sneaking cigarettes and not plotting murders. But time will tell. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, I hope she's wearing a cape. She's like, are you guys coming to my play? So. <laughs> right. Well, that is where we fall on this week's deadbolt test. Olivia's putting in a three. I'm coming in at a four, but we want to know where does the murder of Seth Jackson fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at check the locks pod. Find us on Twitter at check the locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. We want you to be part of our family. And that is the best way to do it. We can interact with you, hang out, talk about cases, share silly gifts, all sorts of stuff. So come hang out with us. We would love to have you as part of our Facebook group. Olivia, this case got me hot like the Florida sun. I need a palate cleanser. What do you got for us? You're punny again. I had this to reach week- for that one. <laughs> <laughs> this week's five-star review comes from LK Rich 0719 They said, I've really enjoyed this podcast. It has quickly grown to the top of my list for true crime. I have not listened to all the shows yet, but I'm looking forward to hearing more about the not-so-common stories. Thank you both for hosting such a great show. Thank you, LK Rich 0719 Reach out to us on the socials and let us know who you are so we can send you some cool Check the Lock swag. Yes, LK Rich, thank you so much for taking the time. I know I talk about this a lot, but we know that your days are busy, right? People have kids, people have jobs, you've got responsibilities. So the fact that you were able to carve out just a few minutes to go in and leave us that review really does mean the world to us. And just like Olivia said, we would love to send you some stickers. We got buttons. We, I still got a few keychains left. I'd love to get out to you. So reach out to us. Again, you can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod, Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you were on our Facebook group, you can also reach out there. If you're not a social person, that's not a problem at all. Head over to Check checkthelockspod.com. You can go ahead and click that email button. Just let us know where to send it and we'd be happy to do so. Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? 
Well, they need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app, go to our home shows page, scroll down where you see all five stars, click all five stars, and leave us a little lovely review and tell us what you like about Check the Locks. That's right. We would love to hear from you. And I know we talk about it every week, but these reviews are going to help us get in front of more people, gets us in shows, recommendations, helps us to grow our audience, our community, you know, just gets the show out to more people. So if you've left us a review already, thank you so much for doing that. If you have not, just like Olivia said, head over to Apple Podcasts. If you need, there is a link in the show description for this episode. It's like a little cheat code. Click it. It will take you right there. And as always, if you want to financially support Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. You can sign up there. We've got a bunch of different tiers, bunch of different benefits. We got exclusive t-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, all for being a patron. So if you want to help us keep the lights on, you want to help financially support the show, that is the best way to do that. And if you can't financially support the show, we definitely understand. Just listening and sharing what we do, hanging out with us every week means just as much, if not more. So if you're hanging out with us every week, you're digging the cases, you're sharing them with your friends, thank you from the bottom of our heart. Because again, our whole goal is just to grow this show and to grow our community. That is all that we have for you for this week's episode. Please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We will see you next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. We'll see you next week. I don't have anything. That's fine. I'm going to leave that in too. (laughs)